Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters here on this Tuesday, August 21st. We're coming to you live from our studios, KFUO studios here in St. Louis, Missouri, or as I call St. Louis, Habitat for Humidity. Uh, actually, it's not that bad today. I've been a little bit of a relief from the brutal heat of uh, a typical St. Louis summer. We got a little bit of a breeze, a little bit of shade, so it's kind of nice out. Uh, I'm your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bon Terre, Missouri. If you want to find out about more of our church, go to our website, stmatthewbt.org. This is Concord Matters. This is the program where we are walking through the Book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions, what our churches believe, teach, and confess on the basis of God's Holy Word. And so we're in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession again today, and our topics today will include free will, the cause of sin, and good works. So one of these will probably pique your interest, if not all three, and we welcome your comments or questions uh, in our program today. You can call us and uh, uh, talk on the air with us. Our, our toll-free number across North America is 800 730 2727. Again, that's 800-730-2727. Locally here in St. Louis, it's 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also email us your comments or questions uh, at this email address, kfuo at kfuo.org. In our studio today, our guests we've had on this program before, and uh, immediately to my right is Pastor Mark Sell. And Mark is the pastor of? Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton, Missouri. And uh, glad to have you back. And, and we have a school. You have a school. This we has been a, a very school. busy time for you with back to school. Absolutely. Last two weeks have been pretty crazy. We've got two-year-olds, an education yeah. course, two-year-olds. That goes Monday through Friday, all day. Um, different uh, branches you can get involved there. Two-year-olds all the way up through eighth grade. Good. So, and where can people find out more about your church and school? They go to Our Savior LCS, OurSaviorLCS.org. All right. And you have services uh, what times? We have Saturday night at 5, Sunday morning at 8 and 10.30. And Very our good. Bible studies are Wednesday night with Dr. Armbrus and uh, Sunday morning at 9.15. Very good. And then to his right is Pastor Steve Reardon. And Steve, you are the pastor where? I am the pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri. Also known as Grover and... And Grover and a couple of other things. Yeah, it's Pond. You know, Pond, Orville at one time, too. So but yeah, I think mainly you go by Wildwood, right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You can throw Glencoe in there also. So yeah, yeah. Mail comes to us like that all the time. So, uh, so. Steve, uh, where can people find out more about uh, your church? Uh, they can go to our website at stpaulslutheranchurch-wildwood.com. 
All right, very good. And when are your services? Our services are Sunday morning at 9 a.m. with Bible class following at 10.30, and then we also do a Wednesday service at 6.30. All right, very good. Well, let's get on to our uh, topic of the day. Uh, We're in the Book of Concord, and uh, we're using the edition that's called Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord. So if your paragraphs or pages uh, don't align with that, uh, we want to let you know uh, what edition we're dealing with. We're in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, which is the defense of the Augsburg Confession of 1530. The Apology was published in 1531, uh, mainly authored by Philip Melanchthon, who uh, was uh, Luther's sort of uh, right-hand man, a great theologian, at least at that time. He schwaffled later on. But uh, uh, we're in the Apology, Articles 18, 19, and 20, uh, we're going to be in the latter portion of, of Article 18, and then a real quick one-paragraph Article 19, and then uh, the beginning of Article 20 today. So uh, last time, your uh, host and guest last week, we're going through Article 18 on free will. Um, and so just by way of review, uh, from the apology uh of the Augsburg Confession, and then from the Augsburg Confession itself, uh, the the Augsburg Confession stated that the natural will, the man, the will of the man who is not yet a Christian, the natural will has some freedom uh, in in of his will in what is called civil righteousness. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but not in spiritual rightness, uh, righteousness. So that the natural man, his will is free with regard to civil righteousness, but not before God with spiritual right, righteousness. The apology then uh, summarizes the view of the opponents, the Roman Catholic theologians, who uh, in a way hold that people can love God and do his commandments and merit grace on their own, which is a different teaching. Pastor Reardon or Pastor Sell, any comment where we are up to this point? on free will um i think the what people get uh can be reminded of is the whole idea of the the spark of goodness mm-hmm. the spark of grace that catholics focus on mm-hmm. a lot of times and uh that's where they <clears throat> that's where they begin to get uh messed up with the whole idea of the free will yeah Steve, well, I was just going to say this. This is kind of the big dividing issue, I think, between Lutherans in particular, and most of American Protestantism. You know, is that what is the role of the will? What can we possibly do? It's just assume man has a free will. Right, it's just I mean, the Roman Catholics believe this, but also the uh, the revivalists or Arminian mm-hmm. decision theologians right. think God did His part. Now you've got to do yours, right. and that you got to make your decision. Any comments on that? Yeah, I mean, ju- that's just you know the ba- the basis really. You know, it's, it's such a, a at least in my mind, is kind of a confusing theology. You know, especially in light of all the scripture that is pretty clear that our will is corrupted. You know, from the very get go. You know, and that the idea that we somehow have a correct understanding of our relationship with God or can do that on our own just doesn't seem to be supported by scripture at all. A little background on this, you know, the uh, apo- the Augsburg Confession was published in 1530 and then the Apology in the following year, 1531. In the years leading up to this, uh, the, the teaching on free will that the Roman Catholic Church was doing uh, in the couple centuries before this was challenged by Luther uh, 
even starting in 1517, Luther uh, wrote a disputation against scholastic theology in which he challenged these beliefs that man has some sort of a free will with regard to uh, righteousness. And then uh, in 1518, uh, when he published the Heidelberg Disputation, a number of those theses already were taking on the scholastic theologians on the matter of uh, this presumed free will. And then most famously, in the mid-1520s, uh, Erasmus and Luther had this back-and-forth debate over the will, uh, Erasmus holding about the, the, the de libero arbitrio, the, concerning the free will, and Luther responded with uh, de uh, our uh, servo arbitro concerning the bound will or the bondage of the will. So uh, this was all leading up before the Augsburg Confession and its apology. So it's fair to say it was a hot topic. It was hot topic. And Look actually, out. what the what the medieval Roman Catholic scholastic theologians had taught about this was, um, and this will get into good works also, that um, to the one who does that which is within him. God does not deny grace. And so this this uh, idea where the opponents were saying that uh, people can love God and do his commandments and merit grace on their own, that was reflecting that medieval Roman Catholic theology. It's, it's an interesting theology concerning what Paul says, you know, in Romans, that there is nothing good that dwells in me. Yeah, Romans 7. Yeah, you know, so it's like, all right, well, okay, do yeah. what's within you. Well, and, and um, people will often say, but non-christians can be good so i'm still missing your point we'll aren't talk they good about people that. that'll yeah. come up under so what, what does that have to do with the free will though well let's get into that okay <laughs> all right and uh, that is where we're going to pick it up our our uh, program last time got up through paragraph 72 so we're going to pick it up at paragraph 73 again we're using the reader's edition of the uh, book of concord so this is in article 18 of the apology, whatever edition you're using, and it's about halfway through that article, and it's the uh, sentence, the paragraph that begins with these words, although we admit that free will has the freedom and power to perform the extreme works of the law, we do not assign spiritual matters to free will. These are to truly fear God, believe God, be confident and hold that he cares for us, hears us, and forgives us. These are the true works of the first table, which the heart cannot produce without the Holy Spirit. As Paul says, the natural person, that is a person using only his own natural strength, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. So, uh, Pastor Reardon, what are he talks here about the extreme works of the law that the that the free will of natural man has some freedom to do the uh, to perform the extreme works of the law? What would that be meaning? I think what he's talking about is the outward, you know, works of the law. You know, the those external things that are works. For the external works. You know, it, it, such as. Well, there's, pl there's plenty of non-believers who are out there in the world who have never murdered anyone. Yeah. You know, in the sense that... Physically killed. They have not physically kill killed anyone. You know, um, however, again, if you jump to what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm. you know, and what the true meaning of the law Matthew is... Matthew 5. Right, in Matthew chapter 5, if you, if you w see what the true meaning of the law is, you know, that it's what goes on in your heart. Even if you hate someone, which I'm pretty much sure, you know, that... 
pretty much every non-believer ever born in this planet has at some point been angry with someone. You know, you've broken the fifth commandment. You know, so yeah. Jesus teaches likewise about adultery. You may never have had an affair with a married right, woman, right? But if you've uh, had <clears throat> improper lust toward a woman, you've broken the, the sixth commandment as well. Right, right. So just those, those outward works of the law. You know. So that the non-Christian has some power within his free will to perform those uh, outward works. Correct. That's what it's granting. Now, in, well, in, what about, go ahead, I was going to say, in, in 73, it also takes advantage of our our understanding of the two tables of the law, the yeah, first table. Explain that, would you? So the, the Ten Commandments would be divided in Lutheran circles of the first three commandments, which is all about our relationship with God. That's the first table. Uh, the second table of the law is all of our love towards mankind. Mm-hmm. Our, our neighbor. Uh, yeah, what we do, you know, uh, obey your parents, don't kill, don't adultery, don't steal, those kinds of things. But the first three all have to do with that there is only one God, that we don't take the name of the Lord, dear God, in vain, that um, we remember the Sabbath day. And um, so it also makes use of the, the, the Ten Commandments the way people would hear it, so that we realize when... When it's identifying the first table of the law, the point is... Our love for God. Exactly, is that you can't love God, according to the first table of the Mm -hmm. law, without being a Christian. And so you have to be Christian to grasp... To even know who God is. Right, for the first three commandments. Yeah. And so by using that kind of an understanding, this is why they talk about... This is why they talk about fear, uh, fear God, believe God, be confident that he cares, that he hears us, mm-hmm. that he forgives mm-hmm. us, etc. So that's our relationship with God and compared to our relationship with mankind. So those would be the so-called spiritual matters that are uh, mentioned here. He says we do not assign spiritual matters to free will. So you can't, you don't have a, the natural man who doesn't believe in Christ, doesn't know God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, cannot... Um, know God as he is, has not received his name uh, in holy baptism, uh, doesn't know his word as both law and gospel. Doesn't trust forgiveness. Love, fear, really love, forgiven. and trust in God. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But I think also has to jump to, you know, just again, what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, where he says, you were dead. Yes. Okay. I mean, th- this is where the whole idea of the will you know, in terms of spiritual matter, you know, kind of really boils down to what yes. does the scripture talk about it? What is our true spiritual condition? You know, and it's not a matter of dealing with living things here, spiritually speaking. We're we're dealing with people who were spiritually dead, you know, and someone who is dead by nature children of wrath. And and they cannot muster up the energy to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so if you're dead, you're dead. And you cannot will yourself to life. You cannot will yourself to life. But in Ephesians, that's in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, but then it's starting in verse 4. It says, but God raised you up with Christ. Right. By yeah. grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It and, is the and, gift and of God. And that understanding only comes through the word of God. Um, because it's, it, it gets contrasted then to what reason can produce, because reason can produce the outward good things mm-hmm. that appear to be good. And later we'll talk about civil righteousness. So the world can see someone. I, I was a pastor in Utah for seven years. Yes. That was my first call. And these were wonderful people. Yes. Absolutely wonderful people, but they were going to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, because they had no trust in a Jesus that that actually paid thoroughly for their sins, but mm-hmm. rather um, it was you know 
ends up being uh, forms of working your way to heaven. So, so the one thing that I do appreciate about Lutherans is we have a very healthy and high respect for what reason can produce. Mm-hmm. But it has nothing to do with salvation. It won't save you eternally. Right. It won't save you. It can't forgive your sins. It won't be a merciful God that wants to hear your prayer. It'll be the God who will just say, you keep messing up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was paragraph uh, 73. Uh, Then paragraph 74. uh, People can determine this if they consider what their hearts believe about God's will, about God's will whether they are truly confident God cares for and hears them. Even the saints find keeping this faith difficult, which is not possible in unbelievers. But, as we have said before, it begins when terrified hearts hear the gospel and receive comfort. So now we're talking about God's will. Can man's natural will know what God's will is? Uh, And he says even Christians, even the saints, sometimes have a hard time believing that God cares for us. Pastor Reardon, uh, do you think that's an accurate truth? Oh, I, 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 I have said this before in a sermon where I referred to myself as a reminder. You know that what my job is as a pastor is to remind my people all the time of those promises of God and what they really mean for them, because we forget. You know, and even believers forget, and we have a hard time grasping. Does God really care for me when I'm going through this? That's exactly right. Does God really care for me when you suffer just the consequences of living in a broken world? Mm -hmm. You know, and and my job is to remind them that, yes, he does. How can we know that for sure? Well, you know, we we know this, again, primarily through his word and what he has revealed to us through his word, and primarily what he has demonstrated for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, he's very clear, again, in his word that he shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you want to know where God's love is, you point back to the cross. And so that is where we always point back to. It's, it's where it's where our theology kind of begins and ends, really, in a lot. You know, yeah. we just, it's always going back to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's always the answer. You know, and that's that's where you point back to. You want to know that God loves you. You look back again. With so, Jesus. so the thing that will be our anchor amid all the the shock waves of life is holding on to Christ crucified for us. How do we know that, Pastor Sell? Well, <clears throat> we know that through the Word of God, because okay. the Bible teaches us that here is the God who actually came down from heaven and lived our entire holy life for us. Uh, which kind of makes the point about civil and spiritual righteousness because we cannot, when we do, even when a good Christian does their best, it is still not perfectly keeping the Ten Commandments. So part of this is understanding that Jesus, Jesus himself took in, assumed the human nature in its entirety. And so as a true man and as a, as true God, the person Jesus walked around this earth and lived out every commandment uh, on our behalf and mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. Because when we realize we have to keep these laws perfectly, well, the last sentence makes the point, but as we have said it before, it begins with a terrified heart. Mm-hmm. How does someone become terrified? When you realize that you have not done enough. Exactly. When and you there's a God who's going to judge you. Exactly. It, it, you remind ourselves of uh, uh, making our way down 141, and there's a few curves that I always wait too long to break on uh, because I forget, hey, sometimes there's a police officer around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> and I go wheeling around, and it's like, oh, is he here or not? Uh, waiting always to be caught. 
Yeah. And that is what uh, when we identify ourselves as sinners because we're not keeping the commandment, well, we have to live on that edge of keeping God happy. And what happens is we realize we can't, which is why the terrified hearts come comes into play, because every preacher needs to always remind or be reminded as well to condemn sin on a regular basis that the sin is expect expecting you to be pure and you you can't and so that is why sin has to be revealed as well that second use of the law if you will we call this god's alien work uh his opus alienum to to kill us to terrify us with the law to realize you don't have enough righteousness to make it uh so then when we bottom out uh, then we're ready to hear the good news of a Savior, Jesus, who did it all for us, and that's God's proper work. Uh, and I, th- I think that's a real temptation of most preachers and church workers, is that we want to hurry up and run to the gospel before we have properly condemned according to the law. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, so that we, we can be patient enough to, patient enough to preach the law in all of its uh, ferocity. Mm-hmm. So that the condemnation becomes clear, so that the terrified heart suddenly, when they hear the gospel, ah, I could finally, I burn my finger and put my finger under the cold water. Ah. Now, before we get to our break in a few minutes, I want to finish out this article. Uh, and I'm going to read now paragraphs 75 and 76. Was that a nice way to tell me I'm talking too much? No, I, I'm oh, looking okay. at the Just cl- checking, clock. Charlie. I'm Just looking checking. at the clock here, so come on. I'll, I'll say it. You're talking too much. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's very good. (laughs) Paragraph 75 and 76. Uh, Their distinction, that is the distinction between uh, uh, civil righteousness and spiritual righteousness. He says, their distinction is helpful. Civil righteousness is assigned to free will, and spiritual righteousness is assigned to the government of the Holy, uh, the governing of the Holy Spirit in the reborn. In this way, Outward discipline is kept because all people should know that God requires this civil righteousness and that, to some extent, we can achieve it. And yet a distinction is shown between human and spiritual righteousness, between philosophical teaching and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. It can be understood why the Holy Spirit is needed. We did not invent this distinction. Scripture clearly teaches it. Augustine also presents it, and recently William of Paris has presented it very well. But those who dream that people can obey God's law without the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is given so that obeying the law may be considered meritorious, have wickedly hindered the distinction. All right, Pastor Reardon, what is this distinction between civil righteousness and spiritual righteousness? Well, civil righteousness has to do with you know the actions of relationships between people. It's kind of like what goes on in this realm, you know, mm-hmm. the realm of the earth down mm-hmm. here, works of the flesh, I suppose. Although that sounds, I guess that's more sinful. What humans, can, like, achieve what humans can achieve apart from the Holy Spirit. Right, and as we were talking earlier, we were talking about with the, the use of reason, you know, our, our reason and what we can see. And, and, and you don't have to be a believer to see that there is good in laws that restrict murder. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's a good thing. Pagans have realized this, the Greek philosophers. Right. <clears throat> uh, I've studied Asian thought forms in, when I was studying in Korea. And, you know, a lot of the sayings of uh, the Buddha or Confucius is good 
natural wisdom. Right. You know, the Bible says that God wrote his law on human hearts. And this right. is the basis then of all civil laws when right. they're right. Right. Uh, that it's better for society when people don't go around killing one another or breaking up marriages or stealing from one another or lying in court about their neighbor. That just makes for a messed up society. Right. So that's the kind of civil righteousness that man can achieve apart from the gospel, apart from uh, the Holy Spirit. And yeah. this is a good thing. It, it is. It, it's, it's being a good neighbor. You know, being a good guy in the neighborhood. That's what we call first use of the law, by the way. Exactly. Being a good guy in the neighborhood. Uh, I've had, uh, uh, in my in my neighborhood, uh, in the last year, we've had three men become widows. Mm. You know, and... Uh, widowers. The, widowers. I, I mean, they didn't right, have a sex you. change. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we're not getting into the whole trans thing right now. <laughs> but, um, but, it's, uh, but three guys have become widowers, and uh, it's just going over and ask them how they're doing. Yeah. Or the one guy... Works on his boat and drinks uh, beer, so I got him a good six pack of real good beer. You know right. what I mean? Just being a good, being a good neighbor, and I think that's the whole civil righteousness. That's when we have, we, when we can count on peace in our community, just so we could get along and drive yeah. the right way. Well, it's also it's also how God has set it up again with the law being written on people's hearts to keep it from the whole world from spinning into chaos. Yeah, that's the curb. The curb of the right, law. Exactly. First use of the law, as we call right. it. All right. So, uh, uh, and Melanchthon here is saying, this is not a new idea. We didn't come up with this out of nothing. Uh, and he mentions St. Augustine. Scripture teaches it. St. Augustine teaches this. So, uh, uh, we attribute to the will of man, natural uh, will, his powers, that he can do some good things in the world uh, that even the world will praise, but that does not merit uh, your forgiveness or justification. And we'll continue that after the break with the cause of sin and good works here on The Messenger of Good News, KFUO. The members of Grace Lutheran Church in Wellsville, Missouri, welcome you to join them for Sunday School and Adult Bible Study class on Sunday mornings at 9, followed by Divine Service at 10. Holy Communion is celebrated the first, third, and fifth Sundays of every month. On Wednesday afternoons, September through April, Grace offers a midweek program for grades 1st through 8th. For more information about Grace Lutheran Church Wellsville, call 573-684-2106 or visit their webpage, graceinwellsville.com. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. Life moves pretty fast. One way or the other, it's pretty much guaranteed to pass you by. Missing out on a spelling bee or a softball game is bad enough, but what happens when you and your family miss out on God's Word? That's why we're here, reminding you every step of the way that the Word of God is not about what you do, but about what Jesus has done for you. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, 
one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Elizabeth II, at 92, is the world's longest-serving monarch. And the British Monarchy's association with the Bible was vividly demonstrated in her coronation ceremony in 1953, observed by millions of people worldwide. After she placed her hand on a Bible and signed the coronation oath, she heard the words, Our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole of life and government. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Other scriptures were read from Psalm 84 and Psalm 141, as well as passages from the New Testament. In 2002, when she was asked the secret of her remarkable consistency of character, she answered, I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. We are back on Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm your host for this program, Pastor Charles Henriksen, and two other pastors here in the studio with me, Pastor Mark Sell of Our Savior in Fenton and Pastor Steve Verdon of St. Paul in Wildwood, Missouri. And if you're interested in a school, oh. we have a school from two-year-olds. We this is at take our care Savior? of two-year-olds at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton all the way up to eighth grade. When I ask past this little uh, secret uh, here. When I asked <laughs> Pastor Sell to come on the program, he said he would, but with a quid pro quo. For those of you who don't know Latin, it means this for that. So he wants to get his plug in. That's for, right. No, actually, we actually uh, like to do that uh, for our guests because our guests are here on behalf of their churches, and so we want to promote their churches. Thank and you. Including their school ministry as well. Okay, well, I don't have a school, but we do have a sausage supper coming up in October. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, good. And it's October 21st. Big sausage supper. Everybody needs to come to that. All right. And we have the... Holy Gospel and the Word and Sacraments down at St. Matthew BT. Oh, that too, that too, that too. Yeah. That's kind of our big draw uh, for anybody who's interested in eternal life and forgiveness of sins. You can get that for nothing at uh, St. Matthew in Bonterre. All right. We had just concluded Article uh, 18 on the free on the so-called free will, which is not free towards God, but it is free toward what is called civil righteousness. Now we come to the very lengthy... Article 19, The Cause of Sin. And let me read, I'm going to read the entire article for you now. You ready? Uh, the adversaries accept Article 19. In it we confess that only God and He alone has created all nature and preserves all things that exist. Yet the cause of sin is the will of the devil and people turning away from God. According to the saying of Christ about the devil, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. John 8, verse 44. Pastor Reardon, how did a German theologian restrain himself to write one paragraph? <laughs> I don't know. I'm Irish, you know, so we could have done this, all right? You know, but uh, yeah, pretty, pretty simple and straightforward. What's the cause of sin? Devil and people. 
Yeah, you know, this is a this is a contemporary question. Usually, it's in the framework of the cause of evil. Whenever there is a disaster, you see this every. I mean, look at the news. Whenever there's a big disaster in the news or a school shooting or uh, a tsunami, how could a good God allow this terrible thing to happen? Uh, well, it's a consequence of us messing up uh, and disobeying God and rebelling. There's sin in the world, and the world is subjected to futility. Uh, and God has provided the answer in Christ. So, uh, well, let me ask ahead, you this. Let me ask you this. So, in it, it says, in it, we confess only God, and He alone has created all nature and preserves all things. That's not a given anymore. Yeah. That God has created all things, and all things exist because of God. Mm-hmm. It, you know what I mean? There's, there's very much a, 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 uh, an atheistic or agnostic view uh, somehow that. Well, there really isn't a God. And, and so I think that's kind of an interesting sentence that this article begins with, because that can't be a given today, mm-hmm. I don't think, especially with, um, with how, how evolution is taught uh, almost as a faith. But, in, but the, the, what this is getting at is, well, if God created all things, and why did he allow people to sin, mm-hmm. and what, you know, why is there a devil, and... Uh, Luther would say he's God's devil. Uh, and I so, mean, there, and, is, there is a serious question behind this. Yeah, right, exactly, because people, they're not ready to give to you the given. blame God. Yeah, they're not, they're not even ready to give the given anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just, hey, things happen. But people you know, want to put go God, wrong, put, so put God on trial or to excuse their own sin, you know, like Eve tried to do, the devil made me do it. You know, so people don't, this goes back to Adam and Eve in the fall. They wanted, the man wanted to, said, the woman you gave me, she caused me to sin. Or uh, the woman saying, the devil, the serpent caused me to sin. And, you know, in uh, James, it says that God tempts no one. So we want to blame God for our own sin or for what the devil does. Pastor Reardon, any thoughts on that? It's easier to blame him. You know, I mean, we, we none, none of us want to accept blame for anything, you mm-hmm. know, and, and we have this misconception that people are basically good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is going to sound terrible on my part, but I think that people are basically bad. You know, nothing surprises me really with people anymore. Including you know, yourself. Including myself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But when you have a pro- exactly when you have a proper understanding of that nothing really surprises you when it comes up, when it gets when you start talking and learning and figuring out or working the with people just deviousness of the how, human heart. Exactly. Just how evil uh, people truly are, and it's part of it's part of the reality of the fall. So I, I, you know, I just thought I'd kind of bring out two things. First, God isn't assumed here, where we can't mm-hmm. we can't. We can't assume that God is the assumption anymore. And then secondly, starting with people are evil and sinful. Mm-hmm. And then when you start then with that, well, it's kind of like, well, no wonder why voters meeting go so long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a voters meeting tonight. That's right. But, um, but you know, there's no wonder why you have, you, we spend so much time helping families and husbands and wives. And, and no wonder why uh, we are so, like at our Savior, so committed to our grade school. Because we want to help raise these children. Or we installed the Sunday school teachers. Why Sunday school is so important to our churches. Mm-hmm. To be able to teach the kids right from little on. So that... There is an we're we're giving them the assumption assumption that there is a God who created, and yes, when you as you realize your sin, there's a God who forgives. Mm-hmm. All right, very good. Let's move on to Article Twenty then 
the title here is Good Works. And uh, let's find out what the disagreement was. Remember, the uh, Lutheran confessors uh, have presented their positions in the Augsburg Confession. And uh, in the, the first, what, 21 articles of the Augsburg Confession, they sort of say, you know, we must be on the same page about this. Uh, uh, and we've only corrected a few abuses, which are then covered in Articles 22 through 28. What they find out from the Roman Confutation is we are not all agreed on these things that we thought we should be agreed on, on the basics, and including uh, good works. Uh, so we're going to find out what the disagreement is between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics on good works. Paragraph 78. In Article 20, they, that is the adversaries, the opponents, in Article 20, they clearly state that they reject and condemn our statement that people do not merit the forgiveness of sins by good works. Mark this well. They hey, clearly... I'm sure you ask me. Mark, mark this cell. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> if go ahead, If go your ahead, middle name was this, you'd be mark this cell. No, this is mark this well. Okay, okay. Um, mark, mark, Marcus Welby. No, mark... Mark this well. They clearly declare that they reject and condemn this article. What more can be said on a subject so clear? Mark Sell, what more can be said on this subject? What is the nature of the disagreement between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics? Well, I, I think it, it has to do with going back to what we talked a little bit earlier, is that they believe that there is this spark of divinity that exists in all humanity. And from there, you have to build your good works. And as you build your good works, God will accept you because they confuse the law and gospel, because that your daily sacrifices then becomes what you are earning to get That's the merit word. Exactly. There, what you, you can, can actually, earn. Exactly. So if I do, you know, four hours worth of work at $5 an hour, I'll get $20. Mm -hmm. You know, if I do four hours of good works for the church, I'll get uh, four hours worth of forgiveness. And and that's the that's the crux of the problem is that when we think we're doing something good, I I did a funeral last fall and I helped. It was a young mother who died of brain cancer, and um, and it was really a tough one. And had the opportunity to preach the word to her and remind her of her baptism and go through all of that. And her mother was a Roman Catholic, and so. Her mother's conclusion at the end of the funeral was, well, she, with all the suffering she did, she must be in heaven based upon her daughter's suffering, you know, and then the husband certainly deserves to go to heaven because now he's going to raise these kids on his own. Um, so that's so, a merit-based theology. Exactly. And it, you just fall into that trap uh, opposed to understanding the, the best work that we can do still has to be covered in God's grace and forgiveness. So the, the you take two boys. One is a pagan, but boy, does he does a, he does a great job cutting grass. That's the one I'd hire. The other one's a Christian, and he whines and he complains about it, and his dad makes him go out there and cut the grass. So the one is a Christian, the other one is a non-believer. Which one is a good work in God's eyes? The whiny little brat that had to be forced to do it. Why? Because he's a forgiven child of God. God... God brings forgiveness to that child, and so he takes our works and he cleanses them. And that is the, that is the understanding of 
being a person in Christ, uh, being a believer in Christ, whereas the best work we could do, no matter how good it is, according to the world's eyes, it's still going to send me to hell. By the way, um, Luther talks at length about this in the Heidelberg Disputation of 1518, this being the 500th anniversary of the Heidelberg Disputation. He talks about this matter that the, the will is not free. He talks about the paradox that uh, works that the world would say are good works. Uh, if you're trusting in them, they'll send you to hell and uh, 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 this whole matter of good works. And by the way, uh, the Theological Symposium at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis is going to be uh, built on this theme this year, and I'm doing one of the sectionals there. That'll be the, the symposium September 18 and 19, and uh, taking people through the Heidelberg Disputation. All right, so um, the Lutherans had said that uh, people do not merit forgiveness of sins by their works. The Roman Catholic Confutation says we reject that. So let's go on to then paragraph 79 and find out how we are uh, how we do receive the forgiveness of sins, uh, and here, paragraph 79. Here are the framers of the com confutation, that's the Roman confutation, display what spirit leads them. What is more certain in the church than that the forgiveness of sins happens freely for Christ's sake, that Christ, not our works, is the atoning sacrifice for sins? As Peter says, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, Acts 10.43. We would rather give agreement to this church of the prophets than to these godless writers of the confutation who so rudely blaspheme Christ. Pastor Reardon, um, if the forgiveness of sins is not merited by our works, how does the forgiveness of sins happen according to Scripture? What are they saying here? It happens freely for the sake of Christ's death and resurrection, and this is received through faith. So the sacrifice, the atoning, what does it mean by an atoning sacrifice? Uh, he paid for it. You know, to atone for something is to pay for something. Your sins. Yeah, your sins, right. And so when he died on the cross, he paid the price for our sins, and by believing and trusting, having faith, that, that we, we receive the benefits of what he has done for us on the cross, and that's how forgiveness is gotten. So how, how can Melanchthon say that the authors of the confutation are blaspheming Christ? Well, because by adding works to it, what you're doing is, by definition, you are detracting from what the value of the cross is. That Jesus did not do it all. Right, exactly. I mean, this is kind of mathematical in a sense. You know, if we say that, rightly so, if we say that the cross is worth 100% salvation, um, if I sit there and say, well, okay, it's... Jesus two, did 99%. 2 right, 2% or 1% or whatever percent is still up to my works. I am saying that the work that he did on the cross is insufficient, which is blasphemy. You know, and in the decisive thing, that becomes your work. Right, exactly. And you are becoming the Savior then. And you become your own Savior. And here's, and here's the problem with that, really, in the end, is that even if we say that it's 1%, you know, even let's say if it's a tenth of a percent, you know, that Jesus did 99.9% .9 of it, but a tenth of it is still up to you to do. How do you know when you've reached it? Mm -hmm. How do you know when you've accomplished it all? When when do you get that point where you say, I've, I've done it all in order to complete the salvation that I need? And you never know, you know, because mm -hmm. um, obviously that is not defined in Scripture, you know, but it's just going to be continual doubt in your mind because... Or on the other hand, 
you think you have done it all, maybe. Or you try proud. to kid yourself. That's exactly what you try to kid yourself into it and you become a Pharisee, yeah. you know, thinking that you've done it. You know, but the the problem is, is that whenever we focus in on ourselves, which is what works do, you're you're always in you're always introducing an element of doubt because I am imperfect. You are imperfect. All people are imperfect. And so if I'm going to look to myself instead of looking to Christ, I'm always going to have an element of doubt that is there. Okay. What uh, It comes to mind, anytime I hear the word blaspheme, and you said blaspheme, uh, what comes to mind, of course, is Aretha Franklin and the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Got to give homage to her since she passed away last week, being a Detroiter and all. Um, so how would we just define blaspheme? You know, that one phrase, don't you blaspheme in here? Oh, I would say, well, go ahead, Pastor. Well, I was just going to say blaspheming is saying things wrongly about God, you know, spe speaking badly of God or in, in any way, really. Taking away his glory. Taking away his glory. Yeah, when you're making you the decisive factor, right. you are taking away the glory that belongs only to Christ. Right. And, and that ties into exactly the point being made here, that it is only because of what Christ did. Uh, so, you know, you go, you eat a feast, now it's time to pay the bill, and Christ steps in and pays for it. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty. Otherwise, anything less than total, total work of Jesus Christ is blasphemy. Yeah. Yeah, that's Speaking right. Here, taking the glory away from him. All right, paragraph 80. There were writers who held that after the forgiveness of sins, people are righteous before God, not by faith, but by works themselves. Yet they did not hold that the forgiveness of sins happens because of our works, uh, not freely for Christ's sake. So even some teachers who taught, well, yeah, Jesus gets you into uh, believing, but then it's up to you by your works. Even they didn't go so far uh, as to say that uh, you merit forgiveness of sins by your works. They were not that crass as the confutation writers. All right, let's move on then to paragraphs uh, 81 and uh, 82. The blasphemy of assigning Christ's honor to our works cannot be tolerated. These theologians are now entirely shameless if they dare to bring such an opinion into the church. Nor do we doubt that his most excellent imperial majesty and many of the princes would not have allowed this passage to remain in the confutation had they been advised about it. Here we could cite countless passages from Scripture and from the fathers. But we have said enough about this subject before. Uh, one who knows why Christ has been given to us and who knows that Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins needs no further proof. Isaiah says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, verse 6. The adversaries, on the other hand, teach that God does not lay our offenses on Christ, but on our works. Neither are we inclined to mention here the sort of works that they teach. We see that a horrible decree has been prepared against us, which would terrify us still more if we were arguing about doubtful or silly subjects. All right, we'll pause there. All right, um, here's an appeal here to his most excellent imperial majesty. Langton saying, if only his imperial majesty uh, knew what was going on, uh, they would not have allowed this passage in the Roman confutation. What's, Pastor Sal, what's this about, this imperial majesty thing? Well, it's the hierarchy. There's a, there is a... Uh, it's so unfamiliar to us in the United States. Who was there? Was a guy with a name uh, who was the Imperial Majesty? 
Charles V. Charles V. That's right. Emperor. Fifty points for the Emperor. Emperor. That's right. Uh, sorry, my mind had uh, my mind went blank for a second. So, so the Emperor. They, uh, they remember they presented the confession before the Emperor. Right. Exactly. And so now they're, they're trying to be generous here and say, "Oh, uh, Emperor Charles V. I'm sure if you had known what was really going on here, you would not have gone along with what these Roman." I, I think. I think were. there's more than that too, though, because you know Charles V was actually known for being, you know, pretty orthodox. I mean, he was strictly orthodox in terms of his Catholic belief. And one of the things that you know the reformers were putting forth in the apology and and all this was that 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 we're not presenting anything new here. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. what we are presenting to you is truly the orthodox viewpoint of Christianity, you know, and therefore, surely, Charles, you being an orthodox man, you know, would agree with us, you know. On what they things. find out is that he doesn't. Well, exactly, exactly. Go along right, with it. Right. But and, they're and, trying to be gracious at this point and trying to woo him some. Yeah. Yes. Right, right. And and again, the, there is it's a structure that I don't think we're very familiar no. with, you know, because, you know, you could appeal appeal to the pope so to speak or appeal to the king uh but the emperor in this case would have control over his princes mm -hmm. and they'd mm -hmm. have to do what the emperor wanted them to do and um and so we we're not familiar with that kind of uh a structure yeah, yeah. Well, because, because they, they church, weren't either really though yeah. you know because the princes state, didn't do what he wanted church well, and that's state true. were so closely <laughs> aligned at that time right. so uh uh yeah that's what that is about uh but about the substance, the content of this, he says we could count, we could cite countless passages from Scripture and from the fathers. Um, and he does cite one here as an example. And it says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What is that about, Pastor Sell? Um, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all from Isaiah 53. Oh, um, it's, um, it's a prophecy about Jesus Christ that the iniquity, the sins of the entire word, world have been put upon Christ is, is what the he whole is the point suffering of that, servant. Right? Right, exactly. Who so bears he, our sins. Exactly. So he is the one who says, "Give me all everything that you've done wrong, all your sins, even the the even the original sin. The the earlier you were talking about, man is basically evil because of sin, and so even all that sin is dumped on Christ. Mm -hmm. And so by pla placing all of that onto Christ, he is the one who then becomes the most evil person in the world all right. that has ever lived. Let me go on to paragraphs 83 through 85, and uh, again, I'll start with this. We see that a horrible decree has been prepared against us, the Lutherans are saying, um, which would terrify us still more if we were arguing about doubtful or silly subjects. The horrible decree would be the threat of persecution. Um, our consciences understand that the adversaries condemn the clear truth whose defense is necessary for the church and increases Christ's glory. Therefore, we easily look down on the terrors of the world, and we will bear with a strong spirit all suffering for Christ's glory and the church's benefits. Uh, who would not joyfully die in the confession of these articles, that we receive the forgiveness of sins through faith freely for Christ's sake, and that we do not merit the forgiveness of sins by our works? The consciences of the pious will not have sure enough comfort against the terrors of sin and of death and against the devil tempting with despair if they do not know that their confidence lies in the forgiveness of sins freely for Christ's sake. This faith sustains and enlivens hearts in the most violent conflict with despair. 
Now, back especially in paragraphs 83, maybe 84, he's talking about why we need uh, uh, courage and confidence uh, here. Uh, what, is the, what is the horrible decree that's sort of looming over the Lutheran confessors, Pastor Reardon? In what is the threat? Why, do, why is he saying you need courage? We need courage. Well, there, and- is a, there is a very real threat. I mean, for example, Luther already had a price on his head. You know, I mean, there, there was a real threat of some physical harm that would come to them also. You know, um, you had the Holy Roman Emperor who was going to be their adversary, mm-hmm. you know, and all this as well. So, so both political real- and religious hierarchies right. lined up against, against them. them. Exactly. Which would... It- connect to our earlier comments about both the civil and spiritual authorities would would be over them in the end right would be and would be able to condemn them <clears throat> so you couldn't go to church to escape the persecution from the political authorities mm-hmm. from the civil authorities now one of the things that i think people w- could kind of understand uh faith sustains and enlivens hearts in that most violent conflict with despair how how would we talk about despair? How does someone end up in despair? What is despair? Well, how would you answer that? What is despair, do you think? I I would call it just total hopelessness. Okay. There's absolutely nothing beyond my next breath. And that what? I'm so I'm so depressed, so hurt, so devastated uh that the conflict is too much to bear. When people start talking like that, so what would be the you know, the violent conflict here. Well, Pastor Reardon, uh, he's saying that if you deny what we're teaching, that that you receive the forgiveness of sins through faith freely for Christ's sake, that we do not merit the forgiveness of sins by our works, um, why why is that a needed comfort for consciences that might be in despair? I, I think that if anyone is anywhere close to being honest about their own works that are out there and even we who are believers know that our works are often tainted you know you know that you can't you can't take any confidence at all you know if i'm relying upon my own works you know i mean how many times have we done things that would look outwardly very righteous and look outwardly like being good works but the whole time while you're doing them you grumble you know while it's going on you know, and and I think that, that that's that's why, you know, removing that, you know, removing the comfort of just saying that Christ is in it all for you is what in the end removes that comfort that we all need. And it talks about the terrors of sin and of death, the devil tempting you with despair. I mean, people try to hide this fact, you're gonna die. And then what? And what's the only thing that's gonna give you comfort in that reality? And- well, and, and I think w- the reality is the reality that we face in our daily life. All the realities that come rushing our way, just our responsibilities at work, our responsibilities when you get home to be with the kids, the responsibilities of paying taxes, responsibility, you know, on and on and on. And so the, the violent conflict here carries with it, like I said earlier, the conflict that will come of both civil and spiritual authorities. So, so you're burned no matter what. If you're if you're relying on your works, you're never going to know that you've done enough. If you're honest and you realize you're going to die, what's going to give you comfort? It is only this, that the forgiveness of your confidence lies in the forgiveness of sins freely for Christ's sake. 
You've been listening to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news.